The Crowncast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that means that you are listening to an episode of The Crowncast. And uh, uh, I said this in the last one, but it's back on. We did, in fact, win uh, a game at home, which is where we seem to exclusively win games against uh, New York City FC, the one team we do not exclusively win at home against. And if you're doing all the math to find out whether or not everything I just said makes sense, stop doing that. It didn't. I will save you the many, many pages of theoretical equations. Uh, And here today to do theoretical equations with me about football is Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. Uh, I wasn't informed of math. I was just informed of soccer. Uh, Don't worry. We're going to stick to it. Uh, But (laughs) we are not going to do it alone because we are again joined by Josh. Hello, Josh. Hey, guys. How are we doing? Uh, We're doing good. I mean, we're winning again. I, I assume we're going to keep winning forever. I have a very positive outlook on the world. And I do think that there's some stuff that in this particular Wednesday cast we need to get into about our game against NYCFC. The first statement I'm going to make is that Justin and I have disagreed about literally everything that happened in this game. From the beginning of its starting to the ending of its end. Uh so we might have some some very differing opinions going on today as we did in the last one, but I was in the booth with Josh for the actual game. And so our opinions align very well. We watched the game together. We we determined what was right and wrong together. And therefore, we will overpower Justin with numbers and also liking superior clubs. Uh, we're going to move in. Justin, uh, uh, Adelson Milanda is a looking like a superstar and uh, starts out this game incredibly hot. You want to talk about his uh, chance in the fourth minute? Yeah, I mean, we as a club start off hot. Uh, it's great to see again. Uh, and and Adelson Milanda has a glorious header. Uh, comes from a Kerwin Vargas cross that is, it looks like a, a manufact. It's a, it's a practice set piece from a corner. Because Yozwiak takes the corner, plays it short to Vargas. Vargas whips this into the box and hits the head of... Adelson Milanda, who is at that point at full sprint because he started 25 yards back from goal. And as soon as that that corner came in, just started gunning it up there and uh, hits the crossbar. It's a great attempt. It's great timing. It's well worked. Nobody picks him up making his run. Um, Disappointed for the, the kid that he doesn't get a chance to score here because he did everything right except... Just squeeze it under the bar. Yeah, this is one that I can weigh in on because when you say he did everything right, he just could squeeze it under the bar. He hits both the post and the top bar. Like it is, it's not like, oh, he hits the top bar in the middle of the goal. If this is seven or eight inches lower, it is genuinely unsavable no matter what happens. But I kind of want to compare his run here to some of the stuff we've seen from like Derek Jones. Uh, for example, and that is Alison Milanda does the Cristiano Ronaldo thing. He gets momentum. He sees the play developing. He runs to where the play is going to develop. And then he just has this incredible ability to get airborne and direct the ball to the target. And Justin, I'm going to give you credit here because you actually pulled this out live. You, you, right when we got on the thing, you were like, man, that chance from, from Milanda was really impressive. 
and I didn't really see it live. And wow, this is good. Like, uh, maybe again, it's the effect of taking things in slow motion, you know, of like isolating a specific event that it looks either worse or better. But wow, this looks impressive. That ability to just to ghost in with momentum and then use that force to create something dangerous. It is a it's the other side of the coin to what Derek Jones does, who tends to use that big body to just get in the box. And then when he jumps, he doesn't really have any momentum to hit it in the direction he wants. Uh, special, special play from Adelson Melanda. Is there anything you want to tack on to this, Josh? Um, so I would just say it's nice to finally see someone with a little bit of aerial ability on this squad. Um, Swiderski is decent in the air. Um, I think... Carujo, as far as like defensively, when he defends um, set pieces in the air, he's pretty good. I, I think it's an area he could work on in an attack. But this team is missing players who can provide that danger off of a corner. Um, and like Justin said, this is clearly something that they rehearse and practice, but you have to have the players to execute it. And if he is someone who can not only add a little bit of defensive stability in the back, but can add a little bit going forward too, that that makes him all the more um, intriguing for for next year and beyond. Yeah, and and this header does not go in, but Justin, just a few seconds later, another one does. Uh, you want to tell us about uh, the shining star that is Daniel Rios, the rock, <laughs> the goal scoring machine up top, as stated by Christian Latanzio, the natural goal scorer. Uh, Absolutely. Who, who puts up a header here? You want to tell us what happens? I mean, this this is just a, a period of sustained early pressure from Charlotte again. So this comes off of the throw-in that we win from Adelson Malanda's shot being cleared away. Uh, and, you know, it's it's just a quick flip into Karol Swiderski. And Swiderski, you know, for those who may have missed the game, does not start up top. Uh, it starts in a, a number 10 role behind Daniel Rios in the attacking midfield role. Um, and if you heard the post react, I crowned him for, for his performance, especially in the first half. And this is a beautiful cross from him. You know, this is something that we've seen occasionally when he's been given the freedom to drift out wide. The concern with that has always been, okay, he's flinging a great cross into no one. This time, at least he's got Daniel Rios there. He also had Brant Bronico making almost the same run into the same sort of space. Uh, it's just, you know, one of those guys is five, seven, and one of those guys is like six, one. Um, and so Rios gets up it, it, to Rios's credit. It's a great header in terms of it's a glancing one uh, that takes it to just inside the far post, right at ground level as it crosses the line. Uh, it's, it's well hit. Um, this doesn't really strike me as the emergence of Daniel Rios, the next, uh, you know, Lewandowski tier of striker or Erling Haaland tier of striker. Uh, Wait, but, so you're, you're telling me that he's better than those guys, right? Sure, that's exact. No, it's nothing like that. I, Daniel Rios is what Daniel Rios is. We, I, I think, no, but he takes this one well. Um, I don't know if that is more of a blo broken clock is right twice a day than anything else, but he does a good job. Yeah, I, I'm going to weigh in really quickly and then I'm going to bring in Josh because, Josh, you said something in the booth that I would really love you to echo here uh, because it was just really astute and it's really good analysis. Um, he deserves credit for what he does here. It is a very good header. He gets up. He earns the goal. 
he takes his opportunity uh good on him and uh we have heard now time and time again in the press conferences from Christian Latanzio that apparently in practice, he has been just regularly knocking goals in. He's been a monster. He's been playing so well in practice that uh, Christian Latanzio has been forced to consider him as the starting sort of number nine. All that being said, Josh, uh, do you want to talk about the fact that, um, we're going to have to see a lot from this guy before we start uh, hailing him as a regular goal scoring prodigy. Yeah. And it, and it always comes off as you sound like a, a hater when you're criticizing a guy who scores what ends up being the game winning goal. Um, but, you know, I'm adamant in that I'm a process over uh, results kind of person where I believe if the process is correct, the results nine times out of 10 are going to to follow. You can get good results if the process is incorrect. And in my opinion, as Justin alluded to, the process is incorrect with the the playing of Daniel Rios. At this point in his career, we know what he is. He's a guy who has over 50 appearances in MLS, and he has seven career goals. He has an outstanding goal-scoring record at a lower division, which is why I think he still gets opportunities. His his two years um, in like the USL, I think he had 20 goals each of those seasons. So when Christian Latanzio talks about him being a goal-scoring threat in, in training and in practice, I believe it because you can see that he has scored in his career. Where I disagree and where I think the real problem lies is training is training. And I don't think that what you do on the training pitch necessarily can always translate to the actual game time. And with Daniel Rios, this is the case. He has almost 25 total games worth of minutes at this point. And again, seven goals. It's only his second of the year. Even this goal, and and maybe, you know, you don't put too much stock into it, but, you know, I do. The XG on this goal is only 0.09. So it's a 9% chance that he's converting this goal. All the credit for him doing it, but this is not a high percentage shot necessarily and he does not create a lot of those and so i think over the long term and over a of time start daniel rios i don't think that you're going to get these results consistently i think instead what you're going to get is what we saw earlier in the season which is someone who you know puts in a shift tries but doesn't necessarily have any of that end product And for me, I know I don't want to watch a team with a number nine that can't score. It just frustrates me to to all get out. So um, Uh, you and I lived through the Alexandra lack of threat days. Um, (laughs) That's that's a Premier League joke for those of you who know it. I will say really quick, Justin, and I'll get back to you. Um, This is a guy who I think, like you said, we have to separate event analysis from process analysis. And the process that Daniel Rios has put forward so far has resulted in him playing 1,123 minutes this season. He has two goals to his name. He got those two goals on 2.5 expected XG. So uh, with, by the way, one expected assist and no assists. So if you take the whole season, because this is where these back-end stats can really help, if you take this whole season, what this guy is doing is getting him in the position 
to score one goal every eight or nine games and is actually not finishing in theory as well as he should be. He's a less effective finisher than he should be. And on top of that, he's not creating for the rest of the team. Now, this is uh, loaded with all of the stats from when he played under MAR. This is through changes in the the way the the game has shifted. This is him getting on late in games that, to be fair, were already done and dusted. These stats aren't everything, but they are an indicator over 1,123 minutes that something about Daniel Rios's process is not there. And what that means is not that we should pick the guy up and throw him off the field and say, no, he's terrible. What it means is we should look at what he does next. And if he gets one or two goals from, from crazy situations, we can be proud of that. And we can be you know happy for Daniel Rios that he gets those goals. But we have to ask ourselves if he's coming in to be the starter, whether or not he's developing a process that makes Charlotte FC better or whether some fluke results are putting band-aids over something that really needs uh maybe major surgery. Justin, do you want to do you want to get in on this? Well, I mean the last thing I think that that I want to say on this one is it, it, he scores this goal in the 5th minute and he comes off as uh Andre Shinyashiki is subbed on for him in the 79th. Between the fifth minute and the 79th minute, do you guys remember Daniel Rios doing anything in this match? Because I don't. No. No, nope, not really. I mean, yeah. I mean, honestly, for me, that's a microcosm of, of the season that we have seen from Daniel Rios is occasionally he pops up, but it is ex- the exception rather than the rule. Yeah, and if you want to go out there and look at this, and he must really be just doing something special in training. But if you want to go out there and look at this guy's stats, his expected goals, his expected assists, his X, his uh, XG plus XA statistic, which says over the course of his time, how regular is it he that he's going to have a goal contribution? He's in the bottom sixth percentile of his peers. Um, that's really, really low. That's abysmally low. Uh, basically, if you put 20 people in 20 of his peers in a room, he's likely the least effective person in that room. And yep. uh, I- I'm hoping that's changing for him. Like, I hope that th- we have seen something in training and uh, Christian Latanzio has been doing his coach thing and is, is helping this guy develop and he's going to find his shooting boots. But if he continues to start, I will be watching it very, very, very closely because I do have concerns that this is a band-aid on something that needs surgery. Uh, anything else we want to say here or should we move on? No, I mean, I'm good. Nah. Yeah, I, I think we can move into a couple of other great chances that we get. And we're really going to have to discuss this game as a tale of two halves against NYCFC uh, or maybe a tale of, of two sections. Look. They weren't quite halves. We got um, 50 minutes of we dominated this, and then one thing happened, and yep. then we were under pressure for the last 40 minutes of this match. Yeah, it's about what happened. Uh, Justin, do you really quick want to, I mean, Bronico gets a great chance. Uh, Vargas has another uh, pretty decent chance. Uh, Yazwiak has another great chance. Do you want to yeah. walk us through the opportunities in the early really quick? 
Well, I mean, so so I think Bronico and Yazwiak probably have the best chance to get us that second goal and really make this a little bit more comfortable. Um, a lot of good passing again from Swiderski. Uh, the, at 15 minutes, Swiderski has a ball from inside our own half just over the top, and Brent Bronico is the only guy making the run. Uh, it's a gorgeous ball. Uh, Bronico misses the control. Uh, he just barely misses the shot trying to chip the keeper. Probably should have planted this one. Um Vargas gets a chance in the 44th minute. Uh, uh, this one, um, it's a weird chip pass. And and I guess, you know, look, Daniel Rios is going to pop up again in our conversation. But uh, Rios has this weird little chip pass uh, after Bronico sort of uh, miscontrols a pass here. Um, Vargas, I think, has a chance to rush on and take this thing on the volley or on the half volley and chooses instead to let it bounce. And it bounces really weird on wet turf and just runs away from him, takes him wide, and he, he only manages to lash a shot into the side netting. Uh, then we come back after the break, and uh, Swiderski has one of these, you know, sort of raking just from the, the inside right channel to the inside left channel. Um, uh, the ball gets headed down, and and sort of, I think it's Derek Jones who misses it, and, and uh, it falls to Yezwiak, who, for a guy who hasn't scored, he's had some really good, opportunities and put it really close and it falls more i think to bad luck than anything else because he takes this on the volley which is difficult in his position and absolutely cracks the right hand post uh just again as close as milanda was in in the fourth minute uh you know yizwiak was that close in the 49th um trying to, to slam this in on the volley yeah he was really really close and he's looked really really good um i'm gonna go over to josh because josh uh, do you want to talk to us about how maybe the the flip and field or what you've seen? Because Yazwiak has has started to light it up recently, and we'd love your opinion. Yeah, I just think he looks. We we talked about this in the in the booth. I just think he looks a lot more comfortable on the left side. Um, I don't know whether that's actually the case or whether it's just a simple matter of of more playing time. Um, but this appears to be a different person than um we've had in the in the first part of this season i will say it's still frustrating that the end product isn't there um i do think he's a little unlucky you know we've been talking about xg a little bit you know he's on 1.7 xg and he has zero goals that's not a great amount um for for the time that he has but i think it does show that he is a little unlucky you know by that same stat xg that his shot that hits off the post is our best chance of the game um, it was, I think, a 0.23, something like that for it. Um, so I think that it's really important for us to understand sort of who Kamal is as a player and that he had a couple down years in Derby, but this is still an incredibly talented player. He might not really be worthy of that DP label, but at the same time, he didn't give himself that. Um, and if over the next you know, a few games to end this year, he can build himself a platform to jump off till next year. I think that's a really good thing because, you know, we've seen that Shinyashiki is not really trusted out wide. Um, so he's more likely to be impactful next year for us, I think, if we can get him going now. Um, and so I, I expect and I hope to see him out on the left for the remainder of this of this year. Yeah, we talked about it briefly, and I do believe that uh, Kamal, uh, Kamal Yuzhwiak, I uh, will attempt to say it as best as I can, 
uh, is right-footed and seeing him being able to cut in on that right foot, or even when he's just making darting runs in from that side, uh, it, it just looks different. It looks like a completely different player. And he, of course, this is the the point where I feel like we now have like three or four games of evidence of this, that he's looking a lot sharper off on that other side. And uh, that happened immediately after I went on the microphone and said, I haven't seen anything from Kamal Yuzhuyak. What, you know, what needs to happen for this guy to to do it? And I assume he heard me. We're going to go back with our old trend of uh, the Charlotte <laughs> FC people do actually listen to the podcast and take everything that we say as gospel. And that's definitely not why we have been struggling recently. Uh, he must have heard me. And he decided that he was going to prove me wrong. Uh, so I think at this point in time, I have to eat a little bit of humble pie there. Uh, from the other side, he has looked like a man possessed. And I really hope he gets one soon. Because I think for his confidence going forward, it's going to matter a lot. Um, Justin, do we have to talk about Christian Fuchs? Well, it is the moment that divides this game even more than halftime. You know, we were absolutely in control up until the card doesn't actually come out to the 55th minute, but the incident happens in the 51st. Mm -hmm. We have an opportunity for a corner kick, and there's a situation where Christian Fuchs is sort of sandwiched between two defenders, and in his attempts to clear space for himself, he swings an elbow into the head of the defender behind him. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple ways to look at this. And I think what I'm going to go around is I'm going to say, uh, well, first, maybe the right thing to do is not not impede anyone's judgment because everyone has had time to think about this for themselves. We can argue about it in a few minutes uh, to you listeners at home. I would like you to just go ahead and sort of like in your own mind, decide whether or not you felt it was a red card offense. And we're going to go around the table here. And uh, Justin, I'm going to start with you. Do you feel like it was a red card? Yeah. yeah. Rewatching uh, it. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to weigh in here. It, it was a red card. And uh, Josh, do you want to be the, the odd man out? I do not. Um, the more you watch <laughs> it, I think the, the worse it, it looks in real time. I did not think it was it was a red. But when you see the, the replay, not even the slow down one, just a full speed replay. I, I think I understand why the red has to come out. Yeah, I the way that I see this, for those of you who may be at home wondering why we've all sort of come to the same conclusions, um, Christian Fuchs is very clearly holding the man off with his elbow at an area that is safe. He knows exactly where that area is, even if he's not looking at it. Uh, and then when he goes, he pushes his elbow forward, he raises it up to exactly head height, and then he throws it behind him at exactly head height when... Just moments ago, he had confirmed that there was a player there at chest height with his elbow. Um, uh, I am not going to say that it was wildly malicious. I am going to say it may have been something he decided would send a message. Uh, I think it, it has sent the wrong message. Uh, I don't think that's what we want to see from Charlotte FC players. Uh, I don't think it was a an act of like real intent to harm violence. Uh, but he was very aware of at what level someone's head may be behind him and chose to throw an elbow there anyway. And uh, uh, unfortunately, I say unfortunately, that's a red card. I don't think that we can really go back and say anything else other than Christian Fuchs, what on earth are you doing? Uh, Justin? 
I mean, it's not hard contact. I want to be clear to anybody who hasn't seen this. This is not Christian Fuchs trying to draw blood or anything like that. But when you swing your elbow and make contact with an opposing player's head, it's going to be a red card. Yep. You know that. It, you, Christian Fuchs has been around this game long enough to know that. And that's more than anything else is what makes it a stupid decision uh, to, to swing an elbow at that height. You know that it doesn't take anything for a player to feel that elbow and go down and get all of the attention that's necessary to get you sent off. Yeah. And we're in a precarious position. We've had a bad run of it. We're only up a goal. It's a, it's not a smart thing to do. And it certainly didn't motivate this team. This wasn't one of those where, you know, a, a captain who's, you know, it's hurt or something like that. And he's going to motivate his team by, uh, you know, getting the, the foul call or, or something like that, that gets everybody else fired up. Did not do any of that. This game turned and we had to spend the next 40 minutes defending for our lives to get these three points. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think it can really be called anything other than a terrible decision and a terrible decision made by, the supposed to be cool, calm head of the experienced captain. Uh, and that's not the first one this year. So uh, those of you who who want to go back and listen to uh, my particular thoughts on uh, Christian Fuchs remaining calm and collected, uh, you can find those on some of our previous podcasts. Uh, but that was not quite the, the fight I thought it was going to be. I thought maybe one of the three of us might have a differing opinion, but it looks like we all came to basically the same place. Uh, he's not the only card in this match. Uh, but I think the rest of them, there are a lot of uh, late yellow cards. I think, uh, Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, Walks gets one, Shinyashiki gets one, and Bronco gets one, correct? All, yeah, all after the 90th minute. And some of those, Shinyashiki's in particular, should have come back for a dive on a, an NYCFC player rather than a booking for Andre Shinyashiki. Yeah, the one that uh, I, I would say is absolutely a yellow uh, was the Bronico foul and Josh? Do you want to do you want to tell us what happened with the Brant Bronico foul? <laughs> well, Brant comes to the defense of one of his teammates a little bit later and um, goes. <laughs> I thought he was really lucky. He goes two footed. I thought into this uh, NYCFC player, and that's one of those where if Charlotte were not already down to 10 men, I think we would have been in that point in time. Um, from a pure fan perspective, you kind of like to see it because I think he is sending a message to to New York that, you know, we're not going to have you come and push our guys and, and all that stuff. Because um, this does happen after, I can't remember who it was that got pushed. It was uh, um, Mackenzie Gaines. Gets it pushed. was Mackenzie Gaines, yes. Yeah. So, you know, from the fan perspective, I do enjoy that. From a more analytical perspective, I think, again, he's very lucky not to have been sent off. Um, I mean, maybe it would have enforced a rest on him, but that was a full-blooded challenge to be sure. Yeah, I think my statement will be when Mackenzie Gaines gets pushed, and I think that there should be some, some response from the referee. Justin, I'm about to let you go off on the referee. It's coming, <laughs> my friend. It's coming. Um, maybe I shouldn't say it like that. Anyway, uh, the, the referee ignores a pretty violent push onto, uh, Mackenzie Gaines that is completely off the ball. It is 
motivated only with the intent to to uh, bully and possibly even injure a Charlotte FC player. Uh, I don't know what you know Mackenzie Gaines said as he passed the guy. Uh, there had been a minor coming together, but I do know that I have seen the level of push out off the ball that was displayed there by the NYCFC player uh, be red carded in a lot of other games uh, all the way from, you know, kids soccer to, you know, the premier league football. I have seen that level of uh, aggression towards another player be yellow carded every time and red carded often. And uh, Brant Bronico has, uh, zero patience for this. He is immediately, he comes flying from the other side of the field and is immediately up in their face and is basically just saying, I dare you try me. Like I, I will take you out right here. And we talked to Christian Latanzio about the event and Christian Latanzio was very straightforward. He said, I love it. You know, he sat there in the press conference and said, I, I feel like we never truly lost our heads, that we defended ourselves, that we stood up for each other as a team. And I love it. That's exactly the culture we want. And I think I echo that statement. I think that's exactly what I like to see. And I am not even, okay, maybe I'm a little upset at Brant's challenge afterwards. I do think the challenge afterwards was a message, was a, hey, you got away with one. Uh, keep trying that. And maybe next time this breaks your ankle. And I don't, there's a part of me that likes that Brant will stand up for his teammates and won't just take it laying down. And there's a part of me that doesn't doesn't ever like the 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 violent coming together of players. Uh, anyone want to add anything on this or just acknowledge it? It was a it was a very solid tackle. Look, as someone who spent a lot of time watching central midfielders who would deliver that kind of message. Keen, uh, Keen, and uh, Manchester United was notorious for this. Um, you, you need that. I don't know that it's as necessary in MLS because we've already had some conversations about how inconsistent the officiating can be here. Mm -hmm. But if the officials aren't going to protect you, it's good to know that there is a teammate who will look out for you and will send an appropriate message. At an appropriate time, and I do think that that it's it's right at the edge of orange, but it works. I think that's all we have to say about it, because there is another way that we can send appropriate messages, and uh, that way is through our website. That's right. If you do not already know about it, the Crowncast does, in fact, have a website. It is crowncast.net, and you can go out there and you can find uh, articles that we have written. You can find a lot of the photography and the interesting stuff that we get to take while we are at the games as official media. Uh, it's out there. It's beautiful. And we want you to go experience it. Justin, do you want to say anything about the website? Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, we're really proud of it. Uh, it's absolutely still growing. We're really excited. Please let us know. There is a contact us space. And I'm going to stress this every time we talk about it. Logan and I will respond to, to anything that comes through here. We'll, we'll take a look at it. We'll figure out, uh, you know, if there's something useful, if there's something you want to see or hear from us, absolutely. Let us know if there's something you would like to see or hear us ask 
uh, a member of this team, Christian Latanzio, anything else like that, please let us know. Uh, we have a few more home matches where we're going to have an opportunity to be there uh, and, and interact with some of these team members. We're going to continue looking for opportunities to meet with some of these players, interview some of these players, uh, especially as we move into the offseason, things like that. So if you, if you want to interact with us, if you want us on your behalf to interact with members of this team, let us know at our website, crowncast.net. That's it. Um, I am going to go ahead and I, I wish I had something that could like play holy music for you, Justin, because the time <laughs> has arrived. We are red carding the ref. What oh, do you want to say about it? Uh, all I'm it- going to say on this is that I felt like it was a pretty decent game refereeing wise up until halftime. And then it just went to oblivion and the rest I'm going to leave to you. You could, sir. Yeah, I, I I agree with you on that. I actually think that this was good um, up until we came back from the break. And, and you know, he in review, he does get the folks call right. And then after that, it seems like the red card changed everything about his attitude because all of a sudden it was inconsistent and tight, which are, are two of the worst things, especially in combination, that you can get from a football match. This was, you know, it, 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 there, the rules were applied inconsistently. We've already talked about the off the ball action on games just being ignored, but there was a ton of diving that was being rewarded by NYCFC. I'm so frustrated and, and it's so frustrating as a football fan trying to advocate for this sport in this country that already has a problem with it. It's so frustrating to still see diving be rewarded in this league with, with weak calls and this uh, official this is the same official that uh, uh, took charge of our first match against DC United that I thought was absolutely horrible, had a terrible handball call against us and then had the same handball incident in that DC United match, not called against DC United should have been a penalty for us. Um, and just, I'm so frustrated with the inconsistency of MLS officiating in general and with this guy in particular. Yeah, um, it wasn't a great game. Uh, You know, I'm not somebody who's going to continue to go on the refs. I do think it's right. We call it out. I think it's right that we put it out there that, that there is uh, there is a way to do it better. And that at the highest level of the game in one of the biggest nations in the world, we should be able to do it better. Um, That's all I'm going to do because I'm going to, uh, sort of relive the fact that we have won a game and that that's all we intend to do from here on out. And I'm going to go over (laughs) to Josh and I'm going to ask Josh, what do we need to do to keep doing the winning? Well, scoring goals would be a start. Um, Unfortunately, these are going to be two of the lowest scoring teams meeting in the league. Chicago is actually last in the league when it comes to actually scoring goals and Charlotte is fifth worst. Um, So if we want to win, this is looking like another match where it might serve us well to get a clean sheet because I don't think that Chicago's defense is fantastic. It's pretty good, but we just do not score. And on the flip side, they don't. So even though, you know, our defense is fielding some young players like Melanda and we're going to have to be dealing with the absence of Fuchs or maybe benefiting from the absence of Fuchs, depending on how you view that. 
Um, this is not shaping up, I would say, to be a high-scoring game. So, so, oh, go ahead, Justin. Oh, I was going to say they they put two past us last time. Uh, Jerdan Shakiri, in particular, I thought got got a chance to run a lot at our midfield. Um, do you expect you know the the same lineup to kind of trot out? Maybe the same concern, and and if you know the biggest concern remains Jerdan Shakiri, what would you like to see from Charlotte to try and shut that down? Yeah, so I, I do think Shakiri remains the focal point of this Chicago team. I will say that as a whole, they're dealing with a lot of injury. Um, Shakiri himself just started the last match, but he had been coming off the bench, I think, for the past few. Um, he's it, it appears he's nursing some kind of calf, so I don't know that he's 100%. Um, one of the scores last game against us, I can never pronounce his name, Prezilko? Prezilko? Yes, um, he is out injured, I think. (laughs) Um, He's out injured. There's a couple other there's I think they have about six or seven guys who missed last game. And it looks like most of them might be missing this upcoming game as well. So the focal point really should be on stopping Shakiri. That is easier said than done, because I do think he drifts around the pitch pretty well. But outside of him, I just don't see very many players on this team who really put any sort of fear into you, um, from at least from an attacking perspective. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I will say is their attacking stats look very similar to uh, Charlotte FC's. You know, their leading scorer in Shakiri has seven goals. I think uh, ours in Swiderski has eight. And then it's sort of like two people with five a couple of people with three and that's it very similar mirrors. If you were going to take a look at their defense and say, where do we get through these guys? Uh, what would you be looking at for Charlotte FC to go out there and possibly score, you know, nine or 10. So <laughs> I would, you know, maybe this is just my, my bias. Uh, Cause I feel like I say this a lot, but you know, if we could put a good press on this back line, I think we could hit them with some quick kind of transitions. When you look at the stats for the entirety of their back line, really, these are not good passers. In fact, they kind of, it looks to me that they try to bypass the back line when it comes to build-up play. Um, Slonina is kicking it long quite often. You have their two center backs who can actually hit a long pass pretty well but they don't do it very often. And when it comes to like short passing, medium passing, they're not that great. Their left back is a similar story. It's really just their right back um, who, if they're going to to build, he's. it, it seems like they're going to build through him into the midfield and, and further up. So I feel like I've said this a lot, but a coordinated press on these guys to force them long, where I always think it's it's better because you always have a chance at a second ball and and transition that way, or if they do go short to to press this back line and make them prove that they can pass, because I don't see anything in the numbers that show that they can. Um, defensively, they are pretty good. I would probably stay away from uh, Tehran in particular. Um, he's a young center back for them, and I think he looks like a really exciting prospect. He looks really strong defensively. Um, he is young, so I mean, he's 21. He can always make mistakes, but. You know, I, I don't think that any of these guys are super exploitable defensively. 
as we've seen with some other teams. I think it's a matter of putting them into uncomfortable positions and forcing a mistake out of them. That well, to me sounds like you're calling for another Danny Rios at striker sort of game, Josh. <laughs> I mean, if it allows us to play uh, some guys like Mackenzie Gaines and Uzwiak on the wing, then I might, because say what you will about those two guys, they will put in energy at the top. And I think that that can be very important for us in this game. Um I mean, Rios, he will run around a little bit himself. He, his, you know, defensively, his stats kind of grayed out as the best part of his game, which is not really saying much when you're talking about a striker. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, will, I will sort of tackle in here with one of the weirdest stats that I've ever seen. And I, we'll talk about it here in a moment that, that stats can be used, but they also have to be uh, taken in the context that is appropriate. That being said, uh, there is a player from the Chicago Fire who has, and I am not making this up, 30 shots in this season and zero goals. Uh, Of those 30 shots, 12 of them, uh, no, I'm sorry, 11 of them were apparently on target. And that is either some really, really, really questionable shot taking or some really, really, really awful luck. Um, But... uh, I, I don't really have a great answer for that. If any team is taking 30 shots with one player and they haven't found the back of the net, they may have some challenges getting uh, getting points on the board. I am going to move along, and I'm going to talk about stats one more time, uh, and then I'm going to get off my sort of statistical high horse here because there are other things to do. I think it's important to not just take stats in isolation. If you look at this game, like we said, we have to talk about it as the tale of two halves or the tale of two events, pre and post red card. On paper, if you were just scrolling through the the series of Charlotte FC games and you were looking at expected goal differences between each game, you would actually see that Charlotte FC loses this one. We got 0.7 expected G to their like 1.1 expected G. And that wasn't what happened in the game at all. What happened in the game was the first half of the game, we dominated them. And if you look at the, the series of uh, goals, you know, both teams actually only got one shot on target. We happened to score ours. But that stat doesn't show the two beautiful chances that hit the woodwork. It also doesn't show the fact that Derek Jones gets a chance in like the 36th minute that is on the six-yard box right in the middle and he is f- basically firing like a 0.8 XG shot that just barely gets nicked away from his toe before he's able to hit it. And that was a really dangerous situation we created. That was a, a really, really dangerous, you know, chance at goal that we created that doesn't show up in these stats. If you look at why NYCFC does have the amount of chances they have on goal, all you have to do is go out there on the internet and look up this match from like the 76th minute on it is all NYCFC and they are all super low percent chance desperation shots at a team with 10 men. And that's one of the, the points where I love the statistics and I think they bring a lot of value, but I think we also have to take them in the context by which they are given and we cannot just look at them blindly. And this one's a really great example of that. I think, I have sort of said my piece here. Uh, So, Justin, 
I am going to jump us ahead just for time's sake, and I'm going to move us right into the news. Are you good with that? Uh, sure. Yeah, so um, we have Adelson Olanda makes the team of the week on MLS.com, which I think is great for the young man. Uh, he makes the bench, not one of the starters in the team of the week, but uh, really awesome that just a few weeks into his time here with uh, Charlotte, he's already showing up at an MLS level with that kind of recognition. Um, we have the fan appreciation night coming up against Philadelphia Union on October 1st. Uh, I think that in the coming weeks, we'll address what kind of a bloodbath that game might be for Charlotte, but uh, we should be able to pack people in. There are $15 tickets available. The upper bowl is going to be open. Uh, so again, there's one of those situations like Nick Black against Nashville. Again, by the way, that we won 4-0 against what will probably be the MLS MVP in Hani Mukhtar. Um, but uh we we packed it in for for $15 tickets do it again because we want the upper bowl to be open we want cheaper seats to be available going forward for the squad we're absolutely uh interested in that and we want that to keep happening so go support it if you want to take the kids this is a great opportunity um $15 seats in the upper bowl again for that October 1st match um the season stats for jersey sales for MLS have been released and uh, Charlotte has two players in the top 10. The second most purchased jersey in all of MLS this season is Christian Fuchs. <laughs> uh, the seventh most purchased is Carol Swiderski. Uh, the first most is, is um, LA's uh, 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 Gareth Bale, which I don't think surprises anybody. That's a big name coming in. I think that a lot of the explanation behind the, the jersey sales here is because Charlotte is a new squad. We have great fans who have gone out big to support us and bought a lot of jerseys this first season. But uh, still, great to see two of our names in the top 10. Um, the last thing is, and this will also affect to a certain extent the um, the release windows here for Charlotte, uh, for, for the crown cast, um, the 24th of September, uh, there's an international window around there. Um, so there is no Charlotte FC match. There will not be a post react that weekend. Um, and two Charlotte players have been called up for their national team squads. Carol Swiderski is going to represent Poland for some of those friendlies. And Jordi Reyna has been called up by Peru. Um, the really big thing that we're going to have to look at there is, is first, if they get an opportunity to play, they're obviously going to be practicing with their international squads, everything like that, uh, or with their national teams. Um, there's opportunity for injury. There's opportunity for injury if they get a chance to play. Uh, the other thing that we're going to have to be concerned about, I think, is whether or not there are any sort of COVID protocols around international travel that may impact these guys uh, trying to come back from these squads. That is uh, obviously, like you said, uh, a big deal for us as to how these guys come back, how ready and how fit they are when they come back in. Uh, but it's it happens all over the world. It happens in every single league. Uh, so we will wish these guys luck in their uh, their endeavors. And really quickly, I am going to give one more call out, and that's because I do believe it deserves to be called out. I'm going to call out Christian Kalina for this match. Um, I don't think he has a world beater here, uh, but I think Christian Kalina has been struggling. I think he has seen a lot of challenges that we have, I think, rightfully called out that he is going to have to adapt to. And I do think he has a, a very, very good game in this one. So I do think he deserves to be called out for it. Uh, I am going to go ahead and wrap it up there as ever. Ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for spending your time with us. We love you. Uh, thank you for being a part of this with us. And we will talk to you again after we go and take our next three points from Chicago Fire. Goodbye.
queencitypodcastnetwork.com.